O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here we are at the second Sunday of Advent, and last week we talked about waiting. For those of you that were with us, but for those of you that were joining, we talked about waiting with certainty. Waiting with certainty. And we heard why waiting and delayed reward, delayed satisfaction, gratification can be a good thing, you remember. So good, in fact, that the church adopted and built seasons of intentional waiting into the church year. Because, as scripture shows, it's to our benefits to wait intentionally. So we wait intentionally with certainty. And it is that certainty that drives us forward and drives us further. And so today, we're going to talk about two different themes that we find in Scripture. Uncertainty. Those two themes are preparation and comfort. Preparation and comfort. Comfort and preparation. We'll start with preparation. Let's look at that first. Well, this past Tuesday, we had quite the snowstorm, didn't we? I looked up the stats, and West, or Cleveland Heights got 15 and a half inches. Westlake got 14.3 inches. Elyria, 14.4. Cleveland Hopkins Airport, just south of me, 10 inches. And Seven Hills, a whopping 17.3 inches of snow. Fortunately, we had a lot of warning. We had a lot of warning, and there was an accurate prediction. I was kind of prepared, kind of. I had to replace those little, um, you know, there's these shear pins that you've got to replace once in a while in your snowblower. They're in the snowblower so that if you hit a rock or a stick, it shears off the pin instead of damaging the blade. I'd gotten that. I'd found that at uh, Lowe's and put that in. I got my snowblower all gassed up. I had plenty of bread and toilet paper, because everybody knows, you know, that's what you need for snowstorms. And I was prepared with one exception. I hadn't cleaned out the garage since summer. And there were still leaves in my garage, even. And so I couldn't pull my car in, and so all of that snow went all over my car. And so after I cleaned off the driveway, I had to clean off the car and then re-clean off the driveway. Well... You know the drill. I was kind of prepared, but I wasn't totally prepared. But I have a question for you as we're in the second week of Advent, and that is, while weather forecasts are the farthest thing from certainty, do you have more certainty in your preparation for the coming of our Lord than you do in a weather forecast? Let me say that again. Do you have more certainty in the second coming of our Lord than you do in a weather forecast? Well, I say that as a challenging question because we come to it every year, right? And the question is that if you don't have such certainty, why not? And a corollary, if you do have such certainty, what are you doing to prepare for the second coming of our Lord? As I said last week, we're starting year B in our 
um, rotation of reading through the scriptures. And therefore, this year we're looking at the Gospel of St. Mark. And today we start with Mark, actually, at the very beginning of his Gospel. And one of the things that Mark is known for, I said last week, is being a bullet point Gospel. He gets right to the point. And so look with me at chapter 1, verse 1 in St. Mark's Gospel, the Gospel lesson today. We read this. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, you will prepare, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Well, as we look at the beginning of the gospel, what do we see Mark do? How does he launch into his gospel? Well, he starts, first of all, by telling us that it's a gospel. Now, you know, it's easy for us to skip over that, because of course it's a gospel. We know that as Christians some 2,000 years later. But what is a gospel? In the Greek, it's good news. But it's more than mere good news. It's actually a decree. It often accompanied a decree or a proclamation from Caesar to have a gospel written, to have a gospel proclaimed, was to speak with authority, the authority of a king or an emperor. And so here we have Mark saying what? The beginning, the decree, the authority, the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God. He just gets it right out there, doesn't he? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's not have any ambiguity about who we're talking about. But where does he go next? Right to the Old Testament, notice. To the Old Testament, to Isaiah, the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. He's citing our first lesson there. You probably noticed the echo in the lessons today as um, Catherine read for us today, both from Isaiah and here from Mark. Prepare the way of the Lord. It's also a quotation of Malachi, another prophet. Prepare the way of the Lord. The voice crying in the wilderness says two main things. Number one, if we look at the Isaiah passage, verses 6 and 7, the voice says this. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely... The people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And that's the second thing. We see that while flesh, while human beings in our mortality are fleeting, and of course we've been reminded of that again and again this year, right? Sometimes very tragically. The word of the Lord, the word of our God, stands forever. So you might be asking yourself, well, how is this good news? How is this good news to me? As a human being, I know I'm mortal. Indeed, I know I'm fragile. Here one day, gone the next. 
Well, the fact is that the word of the Lord stands forever. And if you're found in the word of the Lord, which we're going to see what that means, if you're found in the word of the Lord, you too stand forever. So look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Do you see the good news here? It's not overt to the Hebrew people, to Israel, to whom Isaiah's speaking to quite immediately here. Because if you know the background of what's going on in Isaiah 40, God's people, Israel, are actually in Babylonian captivity right now. They're in Babylonian captivity and they're far from Jerusalem. And yet look at what the prophet says. You people of Jerusalem, Zion, do you see what God's saying to them through Isaiah? Remember your identity. Remember who you are as the Lord's. And furthermore, I promise that I, God, am going to come to you. And so here we see Isaiah looking and giving them hope from their immediate situation to the future of God becoming man in the incarnation. We see Isaiah foretelling Jesus Christ here back in Isaiah. Now that's good news. That's good news. Well, here we are in Mark's Gospel, and that time has arrived. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming among us. And look, why does Mark begin that way? Because here is the fulfillment. Here is the theological point that Jesus comes and brings comfort and asks for preparation. And so here we are looking at Mark's Gospel. And look at verses 4 and 5 with me. This is chapter 1. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So Mark goes directly from the good news to the Old Testament, the fulfilling of this prophecy, now to what? Repentance and baptism. Repentance, baptism, confession, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see what he's doing? What are these things, what's common to these things other than being in Mark's gospel here? What's common to these things? What are these marks of, signs of? What's that? Redemption. Absolutely. Redemption. They are signs of hope and redemption. They are the signs of a Christian. What makes a Christian? Someone who repents, is baptized, confesses his sins, and receives forgiveness. Now, it's true that John's baptism is different than Christian baptism. 
which John himself says in verse 8, right? I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And yet, these components are still there. The first way that we prepare for the Lord is to repent. To turn away from your former life. To confess your sins. To admit your guilt. To admit your breaching of God's law. And to be baptized. And to be forgiven. And of course, by Christ's mercy, so we are forgiven and marked as Christ's own then. So why does Mark start his gospel this way, this second week of Advent? Mark's doing so many things here, but he's reminding us as we approach Christmas here in the season of Advent every year that you have the most important part of preparation done already. Let me say that again. You have the most important preparation for the coming and the second coming of the Lord done Already, presumably, if you're a Christian, if you've been baptized, if you know Jesus, that part of the preparation is done. And that's the most important thing there is. You've been baptized, you've repented, you've confessed your sins, you've been forgiven. Because of that, you can take comfort in the first coming of Jesus as the Son of God and Savior and look with hope at the second coming of Jesus, the great king and judge. So let's talk about comfort now. What is this comfort that we see in Scripture? Well, once again, let's look at Isaiah, our first reading, chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. What is this comfort? Well, the original context of this prophecy I've already told you. God is speaking comfort to a people in exile, to a people in hopelessness, to a people just hanging on. And this comfort is actually an interesting word in Hebrew. It's the word nakam, nakam. It means to be comforted, yes, but that's not the whole meaning. It means also to be consoled. It also means to be relieved. It's that sense of comfort. It actually comes from a Hebrew root that is the word for to sigh. It's to sigh. Ah. Thank God. That is the comfort that Isaiah is talking about here. It's not a comfort of laziness or lackadaisicalness or you know, putting on a fuzzy blanket or sitting by the fire. Those are good things, right? But it's more like the kind of comfort you get when you've been out plowing the driveway or shoveling the driveway and you come in and that warm air hits you and the door closes behind you. You take off your hat and coat and you're like, relief. Or that comfort you get when maybe you've had a medical test outstanding, right? And you're waiting for the results to come and you open up that email or that letter and, or you know, your my chart or whatever and you see the, 
the note and it shows negative. You don't have what you thought you might have. Ah, it's that kind of comfort that God says to give to his people. Comfort to proclaim to his people. Comfort, comfort my people. Relief. Isaiah speaking of that kind of comfort, relief, and release. Putting down of a burden. God's people's warfare is ended, Isaiah says. Release because her iniquity is pardoned. Isaiah is looking forward to John the Baptist announcing Christ here, showing them that indeed this will one day pass. This comfort is something that you have too, friends. It's something that you and I have as Christians. It's one of the benefits of our baptism and therefore of our standing before God. The great Anglican poet and priest George Herbert writes of his baptism and he writes this way. He says this, In your redemption measures all my time and spreads the plaster equal to the crime. You taught the book of life my name, that so whatever future sh sins should me miscall, your first acquaintance might discredit all. Isn't that beautiful? What's he saying? That because of baptism, your name is found in the book of life. In that book of life that St. John the Divine talks about in Revelation. And because of that first acquaintance with Jesus, any sin that you commit is plastered over, covered completely, and then some. That is relief. That is release. That is comfort. It's for this reason that the Book of Common Prayer actually puts comfortable words right after the absolution. Did you ever wonder about, at that? It's kind of a strange heading, right? The comfortable words. It's on page 130. We said it this morning at the 8 o'clock service, but we won't say it today because we're doing morning prayer. But what are the comfortable words? We've said, we've confessed our sins, we've heard God's absolution, and then we hear this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then there's two more. It's that that is our comfort. So take comfort in that, friends. Don't overlook that. Because unless you start with that comfort and assurance and certainty that you're in Christ Jesus, you have no business doing any other preparation, you see. There's a lot of talk about Advent being a time of preparation, and there's all sorts of ideas about what that means, right? Some of them good, some of them not so good, some of them sound, some of them not so sound. But here's something we know. If you don't start with the main thing, the comfort, you can't proceed to the preparation. If you do, you fall into works righteousness. And yet, the word of the Lord tells us that we are to proceed from that comfort to preparation, too. As long as we get it in the right order. So if we embrace the comfort, we can then work to prepare for the kingdom of God. We can then say and sing, O Zion, haste, hasten the kingdom. 
Zion, of course, is just another term for the people of God and the new kingdom of God that's coming. But it will come on Jesus. It will come with Jesus. It will come when He comes and when He returns and not before and not at our own bidding. We see this in the New Testament epistle. And here, St. Peter, the apostle, talks about what it means to prepare for the second coming of the Lord. Again, I love the strength of our new lectionary that puts these things together. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I invite you to look at it with me. We're going to spend some time there. St. Peter says to the church, because he's speaking to Christians here, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? And we'll stop there for the moment, because he continues on. But what is St. Peter here saying? He's saying that this universe, the cosmos, everything from the grandest thing down to the most subatomic particle is going to be destroyed with the coming of the Lord. Everything melted away, dissolved with a roar. He uses imagery of God coming like a thief or the heavens passing away with a roar. He, uses the, he says that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, that the earth and her works will be exposed, laid bare. What should our response be to this? Well, St. Peter's glad you asked. Let's continue on. Lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So St. Peter is saying here that our response to this is to put our effort, to put our preparation into the things that matter, not the things that don't matter. The world is passing away. The earth is passing away. It's going to be destroyed, melted, burned up. It's going to be made new at the coming of the Lord. So what does St. Peter tell the church to do? First, he tells us that we're to prepare for the way of the Lord for our final meeting with God by developing our souls with virtue, to be changed, to change ourselves. There is an inward and upward focus that St. Peter tells us to go to. Look into to look into ourselves and see how we can be more godly and to live lives of holiness and godliness. And don't take my word for it. Look, that's what St. Peter says. How are we to respond to this? With lives of holiness and godliness. He reiterates it even. 
on, in, uh, this is uh, verse 14, further on. Therefore, beloved, he says, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So what's the emphasis here? It's on a virtuous soul and interactions with other souls, do you see? St. Peter is here asking us to remember, and of course we don't have that in front of us because we're looking at the third chapter, but he's asking us to, to flip back and remember what he said at the beginning of his letter. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where we read this. St. Peter writes, his divine power has granted to us all things pertain, that pertain to life and godliness. There's that word, godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature. So what does St. Peter mean when he talks about godliness? To be a partaker of of divine nature. Do you see how this is all about virtue? All about the soul? All about character? All about transformation? He, co he continues, this is again the second half of verse 5, uh, it's verse 4, chapter 1. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Well, what's he saying here? He's talking about the remaking of us from creatures subject to sinful desires to creatures full of virtue in line with what God desires of us, and ultimately full of charity and love. But there's another category here, too, that we could quickly miss, and that is intellectual virtue. To prepare ourselves for the second coming of the Lord with right doctrine, with right understanding. Those things are important. Again, earlier in the letter, St. Peter warns against false prophets and teachers who are moral reprobates who bring heresy and blasphemy into the church. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2 now. So this is the second chapter, verses 1 through 3. He writes, But false prophets also arose among people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality because of them, the way the truth will be blasphemed, and their, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now look at verses 15 and 16 of today's passage in chapter 3 where St. Peter writes, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. 
I like that. Because I find Paul hard to understand too sometimes. And it's nice to know that even St. Peter the, the Apostle <laughs> found some of his letters hard to understand. Let's continue. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Do you see what he's saying here? It's not just about moral character. It's about intellectual character. It's not just about moral virtue. It's about intellectual virtue. It's not just about the good. It's about the true and the real and the beautiful. To prepare for the second coming of Christ, therefore, is to be prepared with godliness and holiness. So we have a challenge from this week's text. And the challenge, of course, isn't just for this week, it's for the rest of our lives. The challenge is to be a comforted soul. Ask yourself, am I a comforted soul? That's hard, because it's not doing something. We want to do something. And we have to begin with by being something. To be a comforted soul is to receive, embrace the gift that God's given you in your baptism. The certainty of your salvation and grace. Are you a comforted soul? Or are you always agitated? Are you always frustrated? Are you always uneasy? If so, something is robbing you of the comfort that is yours by right in Jesus Christ. The second challenge is to ask ourselves, are you a prepared soul and a preparing soul? Are you a prepared soul and a preparing soul? We are, as St. Peter here says, to be eager for the second coming of Jesus. The church is to be a people that sing, but sing truly in their earnest desire. Come, Zion. O Zion, haste. Come, kingdom of God. Are you there? Are you preparing? Are you prepared? Are you preparing your soul? Are you preparing yourself intellectually and morally? Or are you being lackadaisical? Because that's not the comfort that we're called to. Are you reading the Bible? I love the collect of the day for today. It's the most famous collect, I think, in all of Anglicanism. Saint, uh, well, he is a Saint Thomas Cramner wrote it. Um, what does it say? It's talking about being in the Word of God. We'll say it later. We haven't said it yet because we're in morning prayer. But look at the beginning of the Scripture insert. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that by patience and comfort, your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Do you see how it sums up the entire sermon? Indeed, it sums up the entire readings. Friends, be comforted. Be prepared. Be preparing. And be inviting others to be comforted, to be preparing. That's the other component here. 
because God doesn't desire that anyone would perish. It's not all about you. That's the temptation here, right? If we make it all about character, then somehow we turn inward. No. If indeed you are being a virtuous person, you're turning outward because of love. You're wanting to share your comfort, your consolation, your relief with other people. And you're wanting to help them prepare. And so, I leave you with St. Peter's final words here in our epistle. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen.